Welcome to a pod called Quest. I'm Christian Davenport, a.k.a. Bitter Ninja Science. I'm with Derek Darby, a.k.a. Fearless Watcher Sage. In our pod, we utilize what we refer to as our Ptolemaic framework to evaluate the topic of the day. This means we evaluate three subjects, politics, economics, and social cultural factors across three domains, the diagnosis of the problem, the prognosis of where we're going to go, and the means to get from one to the other. Episode nine. What's a just future in America, the equity trap, and the 13 percenters? Biden is president. Racial equity is at the top of his agenda. He wants to deliver the goods to the black community. He wants to move America to a just future. But we need to ask what this means. And we need to ask how we get there. Who are the 13 percenters? What trap have they fallen in? And how can we avoid their mistake? Sage, what you got? Hey, hey, what's happening, my brother? We we back together again on the mic. Good to, good to be back in space with you. Um, and uh, so, yeah, man, last time we, we you know, again, I, you know, I'll be losing track of time because we got so much on our plate, man. It seems like only yesterday, but I know it wasn't quite yesterday. But I do know last time we were on the arrest the president tip uh, because... 45 was still in the building uh, and uh and we was we was uh talking about what happens and and so today on the menu um we got number 46 in the house hold on one second 45 out of the house just had to say it all right Go ahead, so 46 is in the house and uh getting to work on uh an equity agenda among other things mm. and so I think really that's the topic, man, this equity agenda. And part of what is going on there is an effort to define equity and to pursue equity by taking on various kinds of racial disparities along different measures of uh, well-being, wealth, housing, uh, entanglements with the criminal justice system, health, and the like, and taking on discrimination. And so one of the things that we did last time uh, to get our discussion going was we ran a thought experiment asking what would happen if the mob that attacked the Capitol were black and brown people. And we worked that through. And uh, today, I think we'll end up running another thought experiment, Science, um, where <laughs> we try to think about what's a just future and, and, and how to get there. Mm. But uh, so that's what's on tap. But uh, but how how you doing, my brother? I'm doing well. It's like um, the uh, the kind of COVID nineteen wind down is a little bit um, interesting, right? Because there is a solution. It's just slow to roll out. It's unclear how that's going to happen. It's got to be filtered through all these other problems that we have and biases and so forth. And so, and you just kind of imagine that at the end of something like this, people might go buck wild to do something silly and in which case we're just going to be doing this again so i've been kind of in that space but but classes are rolling i'm very pleased about how it's going and so um that's uh that's good all good all good well this is not this is not this is not sort of uh this thought just occurred to me when you were when you're talking about the covid moment and, and i don't think we really have done a a full pod on on the pandemic that might be nope. something we want to we want to get on at some point and if we do yeah. get on it I know one of the things we're going to talk about are racial disparities in health, mm. uh, 
uh, both in terms of illnesses, in terms of outcomes, in terms of access to quality, quality care. And these are among the kind of disparities that concern about equity, racial equity in particular, is going to be is going to be thinking about, uh, and and so that'll that'll be something that we'll, we'll have to broach at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, yesterday, uh, science, what was making the headlines is uh, Joe Biden signing a number of racial equity related executive orders um, uh, that had to do with a number of items, but all aiming to promote uh, racial equity, uh, aiming to address the prison system inequities in uh, prison, address housing discrimination, Mm. address uh, differential responses to uh, by the police, to, to black and white folk, um, trying to deal with uh, private prisons. Uh, and, um, and then two, we had, uh, we had a document that was issued on January 20th, uh, where Biden uh, laid out some definitions uh, of the term equity. I know you have some things to say about that. We'll get to mm-hmm. that. Uh, and also identified um, the American dream and pointed out that various kinds of entrenched disparities in in, in law, policy, and, and in the practice of our institutions are really in conflict with an ideal of the American dream that's all about mm. equal opportunity to individuals and communities. Uh, and then suggesting that these disparities of various kinds are things that have to be tackled if we're going to really deal with uh, equity squarely. So before we get into all of that, though, science, I wanted you to remind our listeners about something we predicted uh, would happen when Black folk got a seat at the ruling table or at least had had the ear of some other folks at the table. And you remember that we hit this during our pod on the agency review teams. So, uh, you know, we're not typically, I know you as a scientist, not typically in the business of making predictions, bro, but, uh, <laughs> but, but say a little something, remind our listeners, man, about what we were getting into on that, on that point. Um, so that was episode five. If, if folks want to, if folks want to roll back, but um, um, what I recall um, was is is kind of like uh, um, what's his name? Uh, William Gams has got this book, um, and he talks about um, different manifestations or different ways of measuring success. And one of them is getting a seat at the table, kind of symbolic. One of them is somebody consulting you for um, information, um, or actually getting the goods. And so we're kind of in a Gamson moment where we imagine that if somebody had a seat at the table or the ear at somebody at the table, they'd be talking about, give us what is owed. Or symbolically move in that direction so that we can assemble the information that's necessary to get us what is owed. And so um, it's kind of a uh, pay, pay me moment or the call for the pay me. Absolutely. 
Well, so, you know, we could maybe argue about whether folks have actually gotten a seat at the table um, in yeah. virtue of having, in virtue of having Kamala Harris, for example, be our vice president, or in virtue of having had a number of prominent black folk who are on these agency review teams, right? Yeah. Um, so we can we can argue about whether the seat has been had or what, but but now in terms of the pay me moment, one might think then that the signing of these racial equity uh, executive orders, which of course is only you know part of the process. You know, we can't do a whole lot with executive orders, right? They don't create legislation, of course. Yeah. But this could be like the opening move to uh, dealing with a pay me moment that says, hey, look, you know, it's time, it's time to give back to the folks that help you get there. Um, so, so now another thing I want, I wanted you to talk about, and I don't know that we talked about this on, on air before, but I know we had a couple of heavy conversations, science, and most of our conversations are heavy, of course. <laughs> so that might, I don't know if that's going to help you help you hone in on the moment. But, but mm-hmm. in any event, I'll try to give you a little help. Uh, when we were thinking about the op- after the election, sometime after the election and, and Biden won, and, and we were talking about the opportunity he had, what mm-hmm. kind of president Biden could be. Um, yeah. and, and we were we were thinking that he was not going to be as restricted as Obama was in certain ways on the question yeah. of race. Uh, Obama had obvious kinds of restrictions and, and, you know, for some people maybe didn't do as much as he could uh, to, to resist them. And, 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 and so far as he spent a lot of time trying to work with the, the other side that wasn't always keen on cooperating, in fact, seemed to always be concerned with subverting everything yeah. he did. Yeah. Um, and so, so you, you, you suggested that um, Biden might have a historic opportunity to, to be a president, maybe more in the mold of FDR that could take, take a stance on race, um, but could also pursue more universal policies that didn't necessarily put race first, but highlighted different forms of economic injustice. Mm. And, and and you had some heavy stuff to say about this. I know we got into one of our usual sessions, but but can yeah, you yeah. kind of just just get us set up, um, help 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 us sort of remember what that was all about and what you were getting at there, and thinking about the Biden moment and and his opportunity now as as yeah. as as the new sheriff in town. Um, it's interesting, right? It's like uh, by the way, you know that's an Eddie Murphy reference, right? You know he is oh, a yeah. sheriff in town. His name is oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I was gonna I was gonna play with that, right? Because I'm just right, like I'm like, okay, so is he the, is he the sheriff or the sidekick? And this is this is partly where I was going, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, um, mm-hmm. okay, Biden Biden in a sense until he establishes kind of like what his legacy is going to be. And frankly, when we talk about his legacy, most people mean the next four years because everybody's already looking at Harris, and so. He basically um, could go down if he doesn't distinguish himself in his administration. He could go down as a black people's sidekick. He could go down as like, oh, he was there with he was there with Obama and he helped shepherd in Harris. Mm -hmm. This could be his legacy. And like, you know, okay, that counts for something. And I'll I'll give him some dap for that. Mm -hmm. But if he's going to distinguish himself, he's going to need to, like, do something and do something huge, Mm because basically people are already looking past him to look to Harris. 
and they're looking past him when they look back. So, you know, Obama did his best to try to inflate exactly what um, what Biden had done. But like, you know, many people didn't know what the heck was going on. And so I think in many respects, it's an interesting moment, right? Because partly also what I was talking about, I was going like, okay, so people were a little bit, they did, they held back a little bit from criticizing Obama. It's just like, especially his first, his first administration was kind of like, hey, you know, give the brother a chance. And I'm just like, no, it's not going to happen. They're like, no, nah, give him a chance. Give him a chance. Maybe he, he'll do it in the second administration. I'm just like, no, history reveals that you're going to do it in your first administration. You're not going to do it at all because the second administration, you're worried about different stuff. You're not going to take chances. And so we sat and waited for eight years for a bunch of stuff to happen. It didn't happen. And so that was there. And my thing is, when Harris comes in, nobody's going to want to criticize the black woman. And so that's just going to be a deep moment of internal policing. I mean, we talk about the race first thing. Okay, we got the race and gender thing first. And so it's like nobody's going to want to go at it. No one's going to really want to criticize. And that that's scary because we have a bunch of problems that are probably not going to get fixed quickly. And so we need to move or else we're going to be waiting another. I'm a, I'll give her two years. We'll, we'll give, I'll give her two administrations. We're going to be waiting another eight years before we can actually go back at it. And so this is a historic moment in the sense that Biden might be freed up from having to show, you know, he don't have to, he don't have to be the black person's president. He can be everybody's president like Obama attempted to do. He can go at some big issues. And this is what made me think of the kind of FDR moment. It's like, you know, people looking for parallels now. And I'm just like, maybe, maybe FDR is it, right? He wasn't really for massive change initially, but over time he leaned into it a little bit. Um, by the time, even in, during his campaign, he was kind of like mellow, mellow, mellow. And by the end of it, he's talking all types of stuff. And then he took on big business. He fought for labor rights. He's trying to help the poor and literally get back on their feet and even help them get jobs. And so he went, he went big with it. And so in that respect, I'm kind of like, if Biden does that, then he's then he then he's got he's got a chance at establishing this legacy or at a minimum if he collects the information and makes that publicly available that might then tie the hands of Harris to kind of follow through in a way that she might not otherwise do mm, mm. man that's a that's a lot that's a lot to chew oh man our listeners are in for a treat today mm. so listen man one of the things, you know, man, people always find humor in every situation, man. And so one of the things that's uh, circulating on the, on the, you know, you know, I'm not really on social media, man, but, you know. We're working on it. I know you're working on it, man, but my people, were showing me, <laughs> my people were showing me something the other day, man. So apparently, man, that the meme, the meme that's hot is this Bernie Sanders meme. Yeah, I saw seen it, man. My man sitting up on the on the on the on the stage there with his legs crossed and yep. with his mittens on. Yeah. Apparently this this damn thing then went viral. It's like all over the damn place. I think it's funny as hell. So some of the places they didn't put them. I saw well, yeah, I one saw, of my favorite is uh, <laughs> the Kur Kurosawa film in Kiru. They got him sitting in this uh swing in the, uh, in black and white. It's it's hilarious. Man. Oh man, they got somebody put him on stage with Medea, man, and uh, oh. and the whole Medea <laughs> crew. This shit is funny as hell. Mm. So so where am I going with this? I mean, where I'm going with this is like one response to what you just said is, dang, y'all should have just voted for Bernie because maybe he he would have been the one to do all that. Why, so why didn't it go down that way? I mean, is that an honest question? I mean, if that's an honest question, it's like, yo, man, it's like in, in, in a way, In a way, it is honest. But oh, no, in, in like 2016, it's interesting, right? Because there was a discussion. Mm -hmm. If Clinton had picked Bernie, he might have won. 
Mm-hmm. Or they might have won. Mm-hmm. And they might have won because he speaks to mm-hmm. part of this group that ends up supporting Trump. Mm-hmm. The people who, who who are off the farms, the people that are out of the factories, the mm-hmm. people, um, the poor and working class whites that, you know, no one felt that they were speaking for them. He mm-hmm. was speaking to them. Mm-hmm. And so, but then the kind of Clintonian machine um, that runs the Democratic Party at the time mm-hmm. was basically like, nah, that's going to be too much of a challenge and, and we're not going to go for that. So they went with the person that they did. And so in a similar context, um, Bernie Warren could have been a, a, a combination that also won. But the machine that is behind the DNC decided that, that OK, you know, we, we, we don't want to we want to push it that much. And so the party machine is there. But I'm like, OK, um, I think Trump showed what you could do with the party machine, which is completely disregard it and do what you want to do and drag them along. So um, while we did not overtly kind of choose the Bernie-esque option, this does not mean that Biden could not be free to do such a thing. Now, now one response to that science, though, is, is another sort of thing that was in the air when, when, when Bernie was trying to, trying to get the spot, you know, I mean, he ends up on stage anyway with his mittens and he's, you know, but that's not, he he really didn't want to be sitting in that chair, you know, he wanted to be sitting in the other chair. But another response was that, well, Bernie's not really connecting with black people enough. I mean, he had, he had, he had my man Cornell out there hustling with him and, and he, you know, he marched with Dr. King, but people just felt like they wasn't feeling him on the, on the race tip. So now, but but maybe they felt Biden more because you know because Obama was out there shooting threes on the campaign trail, you know. Yeah, um, that, that's I mean, a little so, bit iffy, though. I think. Okay, yeah. well, go ahead, go ahead, speak to me. No, nah, it's just like you know. So um, remember, remember how people responded to Biden when he was like telling people what black people thought. Uh, Bernie never did. Yeah, he, was, yeah, he was telling them if they was conflicted. Well, he, he he went on the exactly. breakfast the Breakfast Club with Charlemagne the God and said, yeah. uh, "If black folks is conflicted about whether to vote for me or Trump, they ain't really black." Yeah, man. So you know, you know, Bernie never made that mistake. Mm. The, the Bernie mistake was, you know, he wasn't quite sure where to kind of like play it to make the connection. So mm. you know, most folks would go through the black church. Or they go through some historically connected like black folk mm-hmm. and then they make that pivot. He didn't seem to be like he knew any rappers or he knew what rap was. So it's like <laughs> so he, he, he couldn't go that route. And like, you know, he kind of was overlapping oh, with AOC, but I can imagine him more like, you know, look, look, sis, I'll help you out. You know, come, let me let me teach you about the old left. I mean, so Killer was Mike, a, wasn't Killer Mike though out there with Bernie? Killer Mike from Atlanta, um, man. Killer yeah, Mike was on. Killer Mike was stumping. Yeah, yeah, but I come like you know. I think that was kind of it. And so, and then the socialism car, black folk, and the and the you know the and the red move. I mean, the minute you talk about mm. communism, and socialism, black folk would stay away. Just mm. historically, that's what we. So that so my thing was the thing that I found scary was like no one seemed to be able to kind of like wade through labeling. We talked about this, right? This is like this is analogous to the race first kind of bit because and your book, you know, the the boxed in beast with Eduardo is really this kind of like interesting dynamic where just like someone could just they could just say socialism or communism and that suspends thought. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm I'm done. I'm staying away from this like reflexively. And like we couldn't hear exactly what the content of the policies are. And that's mm-hmm. part part of the problem of American campaigning. It's not too detailed. This doesn't provide much information. There's not much to wade through. And so if someone just got labeled in a particular manner, you just kind of like step away from it. And that was, I think, part of the problem, right? It's just like, okay, so if we're gonna if we're gonna go for the stand-up, straight, moderate white guy or the radical white guy, who I'm not gonna say is anti-Semitism, but who was also Jewish. I'm like, you know, so it's like, um, 
we're going to roll with this person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think there's a bunch of stuff in there. And it makes sense that Cornell was there because he, back in the day, he had a piece on, um, like, um, the storied history. Of, it was like, no, not storied, the, the varied history of the connection between blacks and Jews. Yeah, we just course. go way back with regards to mm-hmm. uh, a common moment where everyone was kind of coming together and our struggles were um, uniquely kind of tied in many respects in the historical mm-hmm. connection. And then there was a little bit of a distancing as some folks were able to do a little mm-hmm. bit better and others were not. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that kind of got back to a kind of historical um, misperception. And, you know, Bernie was there for part of that moment, like with, when we were in the kind of like beloved connection and then the unfortunate, you know, parting. And so he was present for all of that. And so maybe he just couldn't navigate that space. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Okay. Well, I, I know, um, that was, this is all off the dome. We just, we just rolling as we go, as we do, bro. But, um, that's, that's good stuff, man. I think, I think our, our listeners will, will, will chew on that a little bit. And so what I have in front of me, man, is I have, I have a copy of the, uh, uh, executive order um, that was issued on January 20th by President Biden. Mm-hmm. And, and my question for you is like, is this, is this the start of the, of the possible FDR moment? Mm-hmm. Just, just, is that what's happening here from, from, from what, what, what I read? So, so, you know, you know, by, by, by the authority vested in, 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 <laughs> it's not me. I'll say me, but you know it ain't me. I mean, in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America is hereby ordered. So the first section is policy. Equal opportunity is the bedrock of American democracy. And our diversity is one of our country's greatest strength. Right? So this is this is the this science, I think, is the utopia. But for too many, the American dream remains out of reach. The ideal is not manifested in practice. Mm. Evidence, entrenched disparities, our countries facing converging economic health and climate crises that have exposed and exacerbated inequities, while historic movement for justice has highlighted the unbearable human cost of systemic racism. Mm. Think George Floyd. Think Breonna Taylor, think the police. Our nation deserves an ambitious whole of government equity agenda that matches the scale of the opportunities and challenges that we face. It is therefore the policy of my administration that the federal government should pursue a comprehensive approach to advancing equity for all, uh, including people of color and others who have been historically undeserved, marginalized, and adversely affected by persistent power and inequality. Mm. Science is is this it? Is this is this the moment? Are we are we are we talking about I mean we the the, the headline is racial equity, but what's what's the work of others doing here? Who the others? I mean the <laughs> others ain't in Appalachia, are they? I mean who, who are these others? Are Man. they I mean what this I'm one is this the moment? Is this the FDR moment? Yeah, see, it's it's weird, right? Because I think there's some race first stuff in there. So it's like black, Latino, indigenous, native, people, Asian Americans, because and Pacific Islanders, because he jacked he jacked them over before. Um, persons of color, you know, religious minorities, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. And and in their definition of equity, they kind of hinted this, right? So I think this is uh, this is kind of where they're going. What I don't like about this though mm. is just like, you know, uh, if you talk condition. That's a problem. Equality of condition. Mm. You talk. You talk equal opportunity. I'm fine. But I'm just like your ability to see 
let alone take advantage of opportunity, is a function of condition. So I'm just like, if I'm starving, um, I, I've been I've been hanging out like I have no house. I've been hanging outside. I've been subject to the the whims of the of the weather. Um, I've not been eating consistently. I can't take advantage, let alone see some opportunity. So th- so that language I think is highly problematic in many respects. I'm just like you know you need to be prepared to take advantage of opportunities. And the presumption is we're all equally prepared. All we need is the opportunity. I'm like mm, no, no. So I, I don't like that take at all. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's the way. I don't think that that's signaling the the big sweep of what I was kind of like hinting at a second ago about like a big opportunity to do some stuff. It's like okay, you can make opportunities available, but if if folks aren't ready and able to take it, then we need to talk about how to get them to be ready to take it. But the language is like you know it, when he goes to definitions, right? Equity means the consistent and systematic fair, just, and impartial treatment of all individuals. And I'm like, what's that? And this definitely doesn't go to the condition point either. It's just like um, presuming, it's basically presuming equality of condition. Um, we're going to make opportunity. We're going to knock down walls so y'all could just like, you know, strut through and take advantage of these opportunities. And I'm just like, I, nah, I don't think that's how it works. All right. Well, look, there's a couple things here. One thing I see here, I don't think is what you have on your mind, but I'm going to say it. But the other thing, I just want to, I know our audience already knows this, man, but you a hard man, science, man. You hard, what? man. What? You, what I do? Man, what? I don't know, man. You just hard, man. It's, God, man, okay, I'm trying to, every now and then I'm thinking, I'm thinking you're going to be like feeling it. And then you'd be like, nah, I ain't feeling that. <laughs> you hard now. Now the other thing I think I'm gonna hit you with, but just put it put it in parentheses right now. If you go, man, to the equality of condition move, wait, wait, the, 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 I mean, the point is that like I, I don't think there's equality of condition. Now Hell somebody no. might somebody though might hit you with a, ra- a race flag move at that point. It's like you damn right. There's not inequality of there's not equality of condition because we had slavery, we had Jim Crow. Yep. We had, we have, and we still have ongoing discrimination against black people and brown people in virtue of their yeah. race. Yeah. So if you give me that, you can also be talking about lowering this race first flag and supporting the Bernie-like politics that's not heavy enough on the race tip. Now, anyway, mm. I'm just saying that's in parentheses for you. Yeah, but yeah, I, can, yeah. I can let you hit it now if you want real quick because I got more. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So look, man. So, you know, man, I think I mentioned this piece I did. As academics, I know we go through this. We always feel like, man, we writing some stuff. People need to be reading it. Yep. And it's like, why are they not reading our stuff? And, you know, I mean, and what evidence we have. I know in your world, citations are a big thing. Um, yeah. We've talked about that. And in philosophy, not so much, because philosophers got like weird citation practices. And so we don't really, that's not really the measure uh, in my discipline. Maybe it should be, but it's not. What Quickly, what is the measure in your discipline? That's a good question, man. It might deserve oh. its own podcast. But I, Damn. Think, I, think the, I think the measure, it's a funny thing, is, is people, got, people have views about like who the smart people are. Mm. And... If if enough of them people weigh in, 
and say is good stuff. And some people who are evaluating the stuff consider themselves smart <laughs> mm. and they think it's good stuff. It don't matter how many people cited it. Damn. It's good stuff. When, you, when you're in a discipline when it's about the quality of your mind, your chops, and people take themselves to be good at discerning, mm. that kind of skill, you don't need to worry about a bunch of citations. Damn. That's how that works, Holmes. That sounds slightly elitist, brother, but okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> bro, hey, man, I mean, hey, we talking about philosophy, man. We talking about going back to Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, man. We talking about the, the big, large minds we talking about. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You. But like I said, this is a nice, this is a nice conversation, but we, we, we'll get distracted, so we'll set it, set it aside. But in any event, the point I was making is that, you know, we go through this thing. So, man, I wrote this piece science with a, a, a former colleague at the University of Kansas Law School, Richard Levy. I think I mentioned him before in an earlier yeah. pod. He's a constitutional law scholar, man. And he's just, I mean, he's just fantastic scholar and uh, serious. And and, 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 um, and so we, we've had a couple of fruitful collaborations. And this one collaboration, we wrote this, really this book length law review essay. It's like over a hundred pages. And and we had to pump the brakes on it. It could have been twice as long. Mm. And we thought we were making a really important intervention. Um, but we might have miscalculated on the title. We called the thing post-racial remedy science. Mm. Now, I don't know what comes to mind um, when you hear that. But one thing we thought, we Rick and I talked like a couple of weeks ago just to check in. And, and you know... I pretty much said what I just said to you. I said, damn, Rick, why people, why paper didn't blow up like like we like it should have. And then we were just kind of having a moment about like speculating. Mm. Oh, it's been cited. People, people have taken it up, but it's not. I was thinking it was gonna be a big hit. So anyway, he said, he said, well, look, you know, maybe you know, we thought maybe the title wasn't right. People mm. hear post-racial and they think, oh, what are these guys gonna argue? That America's yeah. post-racial, ridiculous. I'm not reading that paper. Um but really, our, our move science was to say, hey, look, in America, there's a lot of people who have drunk the post-racial Kool-Aid. Mm. And if that's true, then how should our p- thinking about politics, inequality, addressing injustice go, right? Yeah. Given the fact that many people have drank the Kool-Aid, including you know, people in high positions of power and authority, like maybe yeah. even Supreme Court justices, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So... So, so one of the things Rick said on the, on the phone the other day when we talked, he says, well, right now in this George Floyd moment, mm-hmm. in this moment of the pandemic revealing all of these inequities, it might seem like people really do understand that race is still a problem in America. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no evidence, there's not as much evidence to suggest that they really have drunk the racial Kool-Aid. Now, that was his response, but I was like, science, I was like, not so sure. I was like, 45 got over 70 million votes. Yeah. Congress is basically gearing up to either fight Biden on the equity agenda and on a bunch of other stuff or find a way to water it down. They're trying to deal with things like the filibuster to make sure they can maintain some power and advantage, even though they're in the minority now. So there's like this all this maneuvering going on right now. What's 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 behind that? So that's one question. But anyway, I want to read this passage, this short passage from the from the piece. 
to, 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 to hit you with a couple questions. The United States is hardly a post-racial nation. Tragic police encounters with blacks in Baltimore, Ferguson, New York, South Carolina, Texas, and elsewhere remind us that race still matters and that we have a long way to go to achieve the goal of having a post-racial society. So too does evidence that job applicants with black sounding names like Jamal and Lakeisha get fewer callbacks than ones with white sounding names such as Emily and Greg, as well as reports that banks are still discriminating against black communities in the home lending, home loan lending market, even though redlining is illegal. Mm. More broadly, as Dr. King once observed, of all the good things in life, the Negro has approximately one half those of whites. Mm. Of the bad, he has twice that of whites. Damn. While the numbers may have changed a bit since Dr. King made this observation in 1967, his point still rings true today. Substantial disparities endure between whites and blacks on a variety of indicators. Now, science, that's a direct quote from the piece. We dropped this piece a few years ago, 2016. I think these points are still good money today. Today, everyone's talking about racial equity. They're thinking about Floyd. They're thinking about police violence. They're thinking about failures to deliver justice, repression of protest, the pandemic, economic trauma, disproportionality felt by blacks. All of this is on everybody's mind right now. It's on, the, it's on 46's mind. Mm. We're seeing a renewed interest science in black reparations. And the stats are playing a role here, too. Science, we need to break down this link between equity and the stats, the numbers. Where should we start, science? But before you start us off on this, remind folks about the Ptolemy approach to bringing logic and data to bear on the problems at hand. Mm. So our idea regarding Ptolemy was... Um it was several fold actually, um, but it's it's all under the impression of trying to be as comprehensive as possible. So we've identified that folks normally don't talk about all the different things that they should talk about. So we imagine that people pay attention to the diagnosis of the problem, um, the prognosis of where they like to go and the means between it. People have heard us say this now many times. Um, but what should they be paying attention to? Okay, well, we need to pay attention to politics, economics, and social cultural factors. Now, we need to pay attention to those three things in the context of evaluating diagnosis, in the, pro in the pro process of discussing prognosis, and in the process of discussing means. And those three elements, those three dimensions across those three time periods becomes essential for us to think about it. Cool? Cool. Beautiful. That's always worth sort of repeating because the Ptolemaic framework, as we call it, is our point, our foundational point of methodological departure that allows us to unify the work of logic and data in the search for a just future. So it's really important that our audience knows that that's, that's our foundation. Now, having right. said that, Start breaking it down for us, man, this link between equity and the stats and the numbers. So kind of the way that we've talked about it and the way I think is, is right to think about it is, um, you know, what is, what, is, what is equity, right? So um, to go back to the executive order, the term equity for them means the consistent and systematic, fair, just, and impartial treatment of all individuals. 
So, you know, in the context of black folk, what does that mean? And we mean 13%. That's what we are in the population. We believe that this idea of equity seems to be demographically determined. Equity is all around this. So basically, 13% should be your response to basically anything. So um, one of the places where this was first kind of clear for me was the, the literature on um, police violence. And so it's standard within a piece of peace, police, it's standard within a piece of police violence for someone to go, well, the percentage of blacks in the population is 13%. Okay, so that means we expect that the percentage of black folks to be killed is 13.4% or 13% of all the people that are killed. It's just like, okay, wow. And so then the comparison then becomes how many black people were killed relative to the expected number of people that were killed, 13%. And so this becomes crucial because equity then means we should be extracting 13% or we should be receiving 13% or seeing 13% of whatever it is that we're talking about. But the whole point is that the treatment that you receive is in accordance to one size of the population. But this is this is crucial, right? And this is this is the way that people need to start thinking about equity. And then the question is, does this help us think about the means in order to get to the 13%? Mm -hmm. So let me let me make sure I got this right, man. I'm trying to remember, I don't remember exactly how I put this, but a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it, I don't know if it was 20, maybe 2016 or 2017 science. I got an invitation from the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland to participate. Yeah, man, it was interesting. What do they want with a philosopher? What's going exactly, on? Exactly, exactly. Bro, they, believe it or not, man, they, they were the economists and they were thinking about racial inequality. Hmm. And they wanted to think about, you know, some of the, the underlying ethical justice related issues. And so. They wanted me to come in and, and, and say something about that, and um, the it was a it was a panel conversation, and man, that the head of the Cleveland Federal Reserve was there. They had all all the people there. It was it was a, it had to be at least three four hundred people there, most mostly economists and a lot of policy types, hmm. and um, uh, Douglas Blackman moderated the conversation. Um, and I remember in one of the course of the conversation, somebody's making a point. One of the, one of the people on the panel um, was a police officer, and he was he was dealing with some of the policing issues. And, and it's funny that you say what you just said because, like, my response to, to at one point was, "Well, you know, um, I did I did like a thirteen percent move, mm. but 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 it was like, um, I was like, I was like, you know." Um, I wish I could remember exactly how I put it because it was perfect. But but roughly, here's what I said. I said, um, you know, when we look at these numbers, this this is the problem. This tells us that we haven't really, we haven't exemplified the ideals of the so-called shining city on the hill. And I said, well, look, it wouldn't be a perfect world, but it would be a better world if if y'all could spread more of these ass whoopings around. <laughs> So that, so that black people wasn't taking the brunt of them, <laughs> right? I said pretty much like that. Like, just spread mm -hmm. some of these ass whoopers around and we feel a little better. I mean, we won't feel better about getting our ass whooped, but at least we know we ain't taking we ain't taking the heavy portion of the whoopings. <laughs> and, and so now, 
I mean, am I right to think like that's kind of a response that you worry about? I think that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly on point. And and then you know, but it's like what we forget is though. Okay, okay. So blacks are thirteen percent. We're expecting them to get thirteen percent of the whippings, but in certain communities, whites are seventy seven percent. And so that means that they would expect that seventy seven percent of the deaths would be white. And if that was the case, that would be fine. I'm like, um, that's why that's why I think of this as kind of a demographic stranglehold in many respects, right? It's just like, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's this percentage allocation of equity business? Mm. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. So 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 what this does, science, is I mean, we we spent a lot of time in, in in our first um, you know, bunch of pods here thinking a lot about diagnosis and and um and means. And but I think now we're we're partly trying to think a little bit about, about the relationship between prognosis and means. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to sort of get a fix, a really abstract fix on what the so-called King might call this beloved, beloved community might look like, or, mm-hmm. or what we might, what we might say, what, what's a just future look like? Um, mm-hmm. What's a, what's a, what's an equity future look like, or what, however you want, what's an egalitarian, whatever the, whatever the sort of operative philosophical ideal is of the, of, of the essence of the shining city on the hill, right? What's that look like? What's that promised land look like? Um, now, the thought is that like our various labors in the, in the field now are, are being done with a view toward helping us to reach a better approximation in America of being that shining city on the hill. Now, when we start talking about like, like so here's the thing, science. One kind of move happens when you're a slave society, right? If you want to be closer to the ideal of a shining city on the hill, end slavery, abolish it, right? Mm-hmm. Then you abolish slavery, and and then and then what you do is you have this this initial experiment of, of letting blacks govern themselves and, and white folk, for that matter, mm-hmm. and 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 you give them some land, and and then you know folks are not happy, and then you say, well. Look, I'll cut you a deal. We start raising hell. You pull the troops out of the south. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we let you put your guy at, at, in in the office of the of the presidency and leave us the hell alone. And then say, okay, that's a good deal. And then you then you basically get Jim Crow. Mm. And so, if you want to be the shiny city on the hill, you got to end Jim Crow. And so that so then then that's the story. But then you end Jim Crow. You pass some civil rights legislation. You say no more discrimination. No more discrimination in housing, lending, et cetera. Um, but then you say, well, wait a minute though. 13%, we still got like, but we like 80% of the people that's like poor yeah. or that or they got bad health, or you know, and then here come the numbers. Yeah. So now the response to the to the shining city on the hill science is we gotta close these gaps. Okay. Mm-hmm. So whenever we hear the stats connected with discussions of equity or justice or what have you, it's like saying, hey, we still not that shining city on the hill. We haven't reached that promised land. We're not in that beloved community because these these stats are just overwhelming. We got to close these gaps. Hmm. So this now is prognosis. And this also takes us to the question, okay, how do we get there? What's the best means? Now, some people say, well, look, we got the gaps because we still discriminate. 
We discriminating yeah. in housing. We discriminating in education. We discriminating in policing. We discriminating against lending, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So then you roll out a bunch of books that come up with the evidence science. Then some people say, "Oh, well, you close the gaps by subsidizing the subsidizing the bottom somehow." Right. Mm-hmm. Put put more money in black accounts, focusing on black health, um, black business, et cetera. But the goal, of course, on one reading is to bring the benefits and burdens in line with 13 percent. Exactly. Right. So so speak on this science. Is that is that kind of what's happening here? You get this kind of vision of the prognosis and you get this view that. Taking on the stats, closing the gap becomes a way of getting us to. The just future. Good. That's good. That's good. I mean, so my thing is. The fixation on 13% is really kind of, uh, you know, I, th- I think we call it an equity trap in many ways because um, you, you then get fixated on the 13% and, and you don't necessarily realize that that might not do it. It's just like, um, so then you get people thinking about, oh, we have representatives in government. What percentage do we have? Uh, how many tenured professors in, 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 the, in the educational facility? Uh, okay, what's the prison population? I mean, clearly adjusting some of those numbers to 13 will be good, but so the prognosis number in this context, 13% obscures like the means number. We might need to be allocating 20 or 80% of something in order to get to the 13 mm. for a while. Mm. And so the fixation on the 13% and the, that conversation of equity and what's necessary to get there in terms of means, that disjuncture is going to be problematic for folks. They'll be like, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Why are we allocating all this stuff here when we're supposed to be about equity? It's be like, okay, that's because we're trying to get to this. But in order to get to this, we need to allocate this over this amount of time. And that part of the story, I don't think is as clear. And so as people talk about, you know, equity is the thing. We want something systematically fair, just and impartial. It's like, okay, okay, so we're admitting that we're not there now. And we need to go through this remedial period in order to get there, which means our allocations of things might be askew until we've rectified that gap. Man, I'm about to get you in trouble. Mm. If you answer the question, I'm about to get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. All right, but I know you don't care about trouble, man. No, I don't. So, so listen, man. You and I are university professors, and so one of the things that's big in the in the world of universities. But it's not just universities. I think we're seeing this really interestingly, interesting ways in corporate America too these days. Is like DEI. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh oh. DEI. And so acronym <laughs> diversity, equity. I'm going to make you say something about this. I'm going to, because now you got to say something about it. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, you know, take any university, you know, and, and, and go, go just Google DEI and it's probably going to, you're going to get some stuff that comes up. Now, I mean, what's, what's the question? Is your is what you're, you're That's exactly what I'm thinking. is like, okay, brother, what's your question? Okay, so let me see if I got a good question on this. So my question is about DEI and the numbers. Now, here's, I told you this before, philosophers, how they earn their living, one thing we do, man, we good at like making distinctions, right? We complexifiers, mm-hmm. we complexifiers, right? So like 
you could have like one version of DEI that's like, let's say, call it the, the light version. And, you know, the light version might just be, you know, we want, we, we want to add some color to this room. We want to add some color to the faculty. We want to add some color to the student population, the staff population. Mm. We want to color it up a little bit, color, color the curriculum up a little bit, you know, get a course here and there, diversity course, you know, political science, a little diversity, diversity curriculum. We're going to put science on the committee so he can help, he can help, he can help lead the effort. So, so it's, it's the light, it's the light version. Now then you might think though, there's a there's a more robust version like okay y'all really want to do DEI and if 13% is the promised land we ain't talking about just a sprinkle here and there we talking about some big some big moves so we talking about some major cluster appointments we talking about bringing in a gang of students right we talking about etc mm. so uh, elaborate a little bit on the light in the in the robust version of DEI, and tell us like which one you push. Now notice, okay. notice another option could have been just to reject the DEI framework altogether. So I'm not yeah. proposing that. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying let's just make it a light and a robust version of it, and say a little yes. bit about that in the numbers. So I think I think the light version is um, hiring somebody. You know, getting like a Michael Eric Dyson, something like that. Some brother who's um, highly. Did he just move somewhere? I think I saw some news about that. He went somewhere. probably right. Yeah. It's like it's like whatever, man. It's just like, uh, but you, you can get somebody like that who occupies a big space and um, seems larger than life, and then helps you think that okay, there clearly must be a lot of black people because he's there. Mm. And so that that's 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 a version of uh, I think um, the the light version. Mm. Um, a D, or and actually, you know, um, Michigan is pursuing a cluster hire right now, which could have potentially been this robust version, except they're they're focusing on um, um, kind of like uh, uh, like twenty um, senior hires, and so it looks more like a Tyson like light move, as opposed to being able to take the resources that would have been allocated to twenty and hire like sixty, which would then start to approach this robust approach. But my and so. And like, so while I kind of favor that, my, my real problem is the presumption is all black people are alike. All black folk are going to, they're going to add color to the room as opposed to they're basically going to be the dark skin elite person from Harvard or Yale or Princeton. I'm just like, you know, there's no presumption of like, okay, so who would be best able to, you know, represent black going to the Biden move, right? Who would be most able to kind of represent what most black folk need. And so you might need, you might need the, um, the person that speaks to the issues of um, education, um, educational inequity, or that speaks to the issues of um, the thing regarding kind of like countering um, wealth inequality. I mean, you might need those things to speak to, this is against the race flag again, right? And, and, and one of those people might be a white woman or an Indian dude. I mean, we need to think about like thematically what is needed as opposed to symbolically what is needed. And I think the DEI thing is largely based on this symbolic characterization. Mm, mm, mm. That's interesting. I mean, I, 
I mean, I don't know enough about this history, but I know I've heard people talk, for example, about how you build a black studies program. And of course, you know, Harvard, you know, has one of the preeminent um, such programs. And, you know, if you go look at the roster, you know, the, you know there's some, there's some, there's some non-black people on the, fa on the faculty that yeah, yeah. presumably have certain expertise. And so I just thought of that kind of case as you, as you were talking. Um, but related, um, man, if, if, if I can, I mean, like, but the mm. presumption is I could argue, I think I can make a case for mm. what we need is a poverty studies mm. over black studies. Mm. And that would definitely get like, you know, some folks, uh, you know, upset, but I'm kind of going, okay, so let's, let's look at the modal black life. And I'm just like, okay, I think that should be the target. That's, that's what, that's what we should use these institutions for. Mm. And so what would, what would be needed to help the modal black person within America and are they are they assisted by the current configuration of like black studies and African studies departments right now? And I'm like, I don't mm -hmm. think so. Mm -hmm. And so I, my configuration of exactly what would help this particular community would I think be slightly different from the symbolic stuff. And 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 uh, the proposal that you go with a, a a poverty program, and you're talking about the modal black person. I mean. You're, you're thinking if, if, we're, if we're looking at that 13% number, right? There's something about that number that's sort of misleading, right? Because it's not yeah. capturing. What's it not capturing? Say something about that. I mean, that's an, I mean, underlying, that's an underlying presumption here. It's not capturing the diversity that exists within black folk. I'm just mm -hmm. like, what does black income look like if you take out the Johnson family and Oprah? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think I think that fundamentally drops because we they, they're some billionaires. They're taking up some space. I'm mm -hmm. just like, so the average black income is like, please mm -hmm. give me that without the top 1% of black folk in terms of the income generation. Mm -hmm. And then we know, as you were saying before, not all the 13% are getting, you know, the same heat from the police. Mm -hmm. It could be 80% of that 13. There could be a small subset of that 13%, like 3% or 20% of the 13% that's getting 80 to 90% of the heat from the police. So talking about like black people and 13% writ large isn't capturing that nuance. Mm. So I could only imagine what you were thinking um, during the beer summit when uh, mm. after Skip Gates, you know, had to had to run in with the police. Yeah. And 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 and, you know, whether that was like such an anomaly. Right. Basically, I mean, what you yes probably suggest given given these numbers that you that yeah. you might want to put out right because typically i mean you typically police are not going to mess with certain folk typically typically but it is it is massachusetts so <laughs> it's it like, is massachusetts man and you know you know i mean we we i think we was talking about jay live man the rapper last time and you know he got a couple of, of nice lyrics in there and it don't it don't you know, it don't matter whether you Colin Powell or Snoop, you know, mm. the police air out your ride just the same. You mm. know what I'm saying? Mm. So, yeah, yeah. So we I don't know. We want to stretch that too far. Yeah. Because, yeah. hey, man, I mean, when you out of context, we both had that experience as black. Oh, yeah. When you out of context, you know, and if you if you ain't dressed right. Yeah. You know, if you and I, I mean, I know you the same way. We never talked about this, but, you know, I lived in a. Plenty of suburban neighborhoods in 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 red states and blue states, and 
I never made it a point of going out at night in these neighborhoods with a hoodie on unless yeah, I was man. unless I was walking my dog. Yeah. If you see what I mean. On I foot. Yeah. Just didn't do it. Yeah. So but again, that could that could be this that could be another point about profiling, right? It's it's so, so that's another that's another conversation. But so it's the simplicity of the the thirteen percent. I think is kind of where we were at, right? Yeah. Yes, that's the simplicity of thirteen percent, precisely. Yeah. So okay, so a concrete number. Then um, I mentioned, I think last time too, I moderated a conversation with um, uh, Sandy Darity and, and, and Kirsten Mullen on their new mm. book on reparations. I think we talked yeah, about yeah. that last week, and, and it's really good conversation. And one of the things they try to do is they try to estimate the cost of um, kind of moving us closer toward the just future. Um, and I can't, I don't have the, the number at my fingertips, but it was something like, you know, if we're thinking about calculating the cost of not having given black people land um, to, to come up with a reparations number, it was something like either it was like $238,000 check to every black person, including Oprah, um, um, including Oprah, um, right? So the point is that anybody that had a had had an identifiable, identifiable black descendant and identified as black, you know, at some point over the last 10 years before, before the reparations payment was issued. And I think the check was like $235,000. Mm. Now, what you got to say about this? I mean, I mean, first, Oprah should not be getting a check. Second, <laughs> second, we're gonna get to this whole thing about like native to naturalized blacks and the difference there. And the third point related back to the thirteen percent, two hundred two hundred fifty something thousand per mm. black person does not get us to thirteen percent of the wealth in America. Mm. Hell no, no, it don't. And I'm like, and my thing is, in many respects, I don't know if a check does get you to 13% of the wealth in America. It needs to be, you need to basically be doing a whole bunch of stuff other than just issuing a check. So that's not going to do it. If the 13% is what we're going for, if we're looking for something that's consistent, systematic, fair, just, and impartial, that doesn't get us to 13%. See what I mean? You hard, man. What? You really the numbers hard. don't add, the numbers don't add up, man. It's like let me tell, but let me tell, let me tell you why you so thirteen percent should be in your mind as we're thinking about that, though. I understand, but here's why you so hard, man. There's some people out there, science that say, "Look, hell with all that. Give us the bread. We'll take two hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollars. Cut the damn check. We need to eat. We need to take care of our family. We need to keep a roof over our head. We need to make up for the fact that we get discriminated against here and there." We, I mean, we we gotta eat, man. You you the Maslow hierarchy of needs guy, science. And now here you go telling us, oh, that ain't gonna cut it. So what? I shouldn't take the check. We don't we don't we don't have this luxury, <laughs> man. We ain't we ain't no big time big shot academics, man. That's moving oh, through yeah. space, moving through space like you, science. You you tripping me out, man. Okay, so that, um, so I'm what am I trying to say? One of my favorite movies is uh, is Say Anything with uh, with uh, John Cusack, man. He got a line in there. I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything, bought or processed, or buy anything, sold or processed, or process anything, sold, bought or processed, or repair anything, sold, bought or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. 
And I'm just like, I'm like, that's like, that's my response, man. I'm just like, okay, you give me some commodity consumer laden kind of conception of, yo, have cash, will travel. That still doesn't get us to 13% of wealth. Yeah, but no, the point though, man, is distinguishing between like the academic pursuit of a just future mm. and the bread and butter pursuit of a just future. I think that's the point, science. The bread and butter pursuit says, give me my money. The academic pursuit says, yeah, I want 13%, then hold out for a minute. Don't take this check, hold out for a bigger one. That's the distinction. Now, the distinction for me is I don't want 13% of the ass kickings. I don't want any ass kickings. Mm. Mm. So, you know, we, we never get to, you know, my conception of a just future involves having no no people that are homeless. Mm. I don't want 13% of homelessness. I want zero homelessness. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I, I push back against this equity conception because we never actually get to the constitution of what we want as that idealized prognosis. Mm. I want a conversation about alternative worlds. I want the beloved community tossed up and then we start thinking about what's your, what's your imagined beloved community? Why isn't that a national conversation? Mm. Mm. Man, bro, I didn't know you were so utopian, man. You, I can, I can say that every now and then. You don't say the hell out on me just now, man. You see, I guess, man. Sometimes I'm too much of a pragmatist, man. I'm like Brother Cornell, man. I'm a principal pragmatist, man. I'm trying to think about what we could get done in this imperfect world we live in with the imperfect souls. We got to get it done with. So that sounds like an African Bambada lyric, brother. So don't even Dude, start. Man. No, I just was off got the to get mine. I'm out to get it. I must get mine. I'm like, come on. Looking for the perfect beat. Get out of no, here. No, no. You're missing, you missing the gloss, man. The gloss, <laughs> it, it's not like a selfishness. It's it's a... And again, I'm riffing on I'm riffing on Cornell. I'm, it's like a... It's like a reckoning with our imperfection where we where we going to have like a divided government. We're going to have the other side, no matter what we do, no matter how good a speech we give at an inauguration, no matter how many young black poets we give to give some beautiful speeches. When all the dust settles, people are going to dig in and they're going to do their thing mm -hmm. and it's not going to be easy going. And so one view could be. Hell, 13% is ambitious enough, especially if we're thinking, let's, let's spread this out over the police, over the wealth, over the land, over the health outcomes, ex the housing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Now, in a, in a perfect, perfect world, we don't have no ass whoopings that are not justified. We, you know, we don't have nobody don't, you know, that's, that's starving and you know, we don't have enough to eat or no big differences in, in status. But like, that seems like the world of fantasy. No, that sounds like the world of like uh, Scandinavia, man, and they made a choice. That was, that was one of the reasons for like you know chilling in the spot, man. I'm just like I'm like oh wow, that's possible. I mean, because I was all like I saw a cop in Norway. I'm just like I'm like oh here we go. They walk right by me like I they didn't care, and I'm like I'm like damn, I am in heaven. And so I'm like some literally, I'm just like it just showed me. I'm just like what do you mean there's no homeless people? Oh, uh, brother, you, I can't. I don't know what, what you to mean say. Free education. I don't. What? I don't know what to say about the argument from Scandinavia. We might have to end it on that note. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to. I might have to shut it down on the the argument from Scandinavia, man. I ain't, I ain't see that one coming. But uh, but look, man, this is this is this has been edifying as always. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. 
mm-hmm. but I think I think I'm good to go, man. Take take us home, man. Brother, you know, as always, um, logic and data, Ptolemy shows the way, brother. So I think um, I think all is good. As usual, we dropped some nuggets. I think we definitely have to follow up on some of this. And so maybe in the audience, y'all could let us know, you know, which uh, which aspects of this you'd like us to follow up on. Um, hit us up at, um, at Twitter or Instagram or the or the website, doingthenowledge.com. Um, but for now, peace, y'all. Peace. If you're interested in a deeper dive into the subject, you can go to see our website, www.doingthenowledge.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Doing Knowledge or look out what we're doing on Instagram, Doing Knowledge Again. Um, that's the lines. That's the logic and the science for the day. We out. Peace. Peace.